Well, hello, everybody. Happy Tuesday. I am really glad to be here with all of you and to be in the air conditioning. If you are watching at home, I hope that you have AC as well. Like Phil said, we are currently in a series on spiritual disciplines, which are just practices that we can step into to empower ourselves to grow in our faith. And tonight is stillness, solitude, and silence. And you may be thinking, well, Shana, that's actually three practices. That is not one. Um, but these three practices together have the same idea, which is creating space in our lives where we are not flooded with distractions, where we can hear God's voice. And we asked you all on Instagram this week to think about the ways that you make space for God's voice. And we got to hear from a couple of you. And while those responses were slightly different, both of them showed that you all kind of have an understanding that hearing God requires making space for God, which makes a lot of sense. And so I was thinking like, okay, so if everybody kind of knows this is a thing, but we want to get better at it, what should we do for the talk tonight? And my first idea, which I still think is genius, is that I sit here in a chair silently and just stare at you all for 25 minutes, and we just practice being silent and still together. But we're actually not gonna do that because I am incapable of sitting still or being silent for that long. That is not a thing for me. All three of these things are things that I am terrible at. When Phil asked me to do this talk, I actually realized that I don't even sleep in silence. I have like seven apps on my phone that are specifically to play noise while I sleep so that there is something going. And whenever I'm alone, I lived alone for two years, it was horrible. I don't know how much time you're allowed to spend like talking to yourself before it becomes an actual problem, but I think I was like on the line. And then when you put all those things together, I also have pretty severe ADHD, and so I don't do stillness well. You know, I always got the foot tap going, I'm dancing around, blah, 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 blah. So anyway, I cannot sit here and stare at you for 25 minutes, tragically. I'm sure you would have loved that. Um, but as I was preparing for this talk, I was like thinking about the ideal of the perfect Christian. And if any of you are on social media, I'm sure you've seen the photos all the time where it's either like the cool Christian guy and his ripped skinny jeans or the Christian girl in her flowery dress. And they have like this beautiful chair and the sun is shining through and they have their coffee and they're like, you know, sitting there with their Bible and then they're posting about how it's been so good and the Lord has moved them and spoke to them. And I was like, I want that. I wanna be that holy, that is so cool. And so I was like, if this is the definition of holiness, and if I am a seminary student, then I can definitely do it. So I'm going to learn how to do it, and I'm going to tell everybody, and we're all going to do it, and it's going to be amazing. And I did not. I did not learn how to do it at all. Um, but through my time with God, I did learn something really cool about the practices of silence, stillness, and solitude. And if you are like me, and you do not look like the perfect Instagram holy Christian all the time, I'm hoping it speaks to you too. So if you could please open up your Bibles. If you didn't bring a Bible, no worries. Just get out your phone. Um, I think it's pretty important for us to all practice being in the Word together. And we're going to be in Mark 6 tonight. Um, I will get there as well. I have a sticky note, so I'll get there faster than you. Um, so take your time. And what you're going to see, you can go ahead and open up to, we'll start at verse 29 tonight. And you're going to see these headings in your Bible, and those are super handy, they're great, 
scholars has added, scholars have added them in over time to kind of help us when we're looking at all these pages with what to do. So they're great, they're helpful, but tonight we don't need their help. Um, so you can go ahead and just ignore them and don't mind when I kind of breeze by them. Um, so if everybody is there, I'll start us in verse 29 and read for a bit. Oh, and some context would be helpful. So just before this, Jesus sent out all of his disciples. He found them. He was like, guys, you're going to go to cool stuff. They went. They were healing people. They were casting out demons, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It was wonderful. And then John the Baptist, who's a really big deal, he actually was Jesus' second cousin, got beheaded. And so where we are starting our story is immediately after John's death. On hearing of this, as in John's death. John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So, disciples doing all kinds of cool stuff, also great, they come to Jesus and they're like, yo, you sent us out, and we did the coolest things in the world. And Jesus is like, great, so I've noticed you haven't even had time to eat. So why don't you come take a break? Not, why don't you go get food? Even when they're hungry, Jesus prioritizes time by themselves to reflect. And if you've been in church for a while, you've probably heard this like classic phrase of doing for God versus being with God which is kind of the idea behind the practices of silence, stillness, and solitude. When God sends us out, when we're doing cool things, when we're serving people, when we're loving people, that is all awesome, and God wants that of us. But it's not the same as having a relationship with God. And so here what Jesus is saying is, it is so great that you are doing all of these things for God. Why don't you come spend some time with God? If you are not in church world and you're like, this is not familiar to me whatsoever, there's a really common practice going around right now called mindfulness. You've probably seen it. And mindfulness is a lot like this. The only difference between the practice of mindfulness and the spiritual discipline of mindfulness is whereas the practice of mindfulness tends to just include creating an awareness of yourself and your surroundings in a distraction-free zone. The spiritual discipline of mindfulness is creating that setting so that you can actually make space to hear God. Similar, slightly different. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups and on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. 
Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Now, I'm going to stop reading there so we don't spend all night just reading. But basically, right after that is the story some of you may have heard where Jesus walks on water and it kind of freaks his followers out and they're like, what is happening? Um, And also, right, we just read the miracle of feeding the 5,000, which is a really cool miracle. Phil talked about it a couple weeks ago in his talk on sermon, on sermon, whoa, on gratitude. Um, And also there are just a ton of amazing resources. If you wanna learn more about that story, I would love to talk to you more about that story. But today, rather than focusing on the miracle itself, we're focusing on what happened around the miracle. Because before the miracle, Jesus asked them to go by themselves and get some quiet time. And then immediately after the miracle, Jesus sends them off and he goes to pray. And so I couldn't figure out how to talk about this today because God showed it to me in a picture. So we're gonna talk about it through a picture, if that's all right. So first we've got here, they're not even really like apostles yet. And then Jesus sends them out. And then here we're gonna put a little sad face because John dies and that's really sad. And then they come down here and they're supposed to be taking a little rest So we'll put some Z's. And then the big thing happens with the fish. They feed the fish and the loaves, but I don't know how to draw bread. So we're just gonna draw a fish. And then they come down here and Jesus is like, yo, get in the boat, take a rest. So I'm gonna try to draw a boat. That looks like a boat. Don't tell me that doesn't look like a boat. And then he comes back up and Jesus is gonna walk on the water. That's a leg, that's an arm, that's Jesus's head. Art. <laughs> so, <laughs> don't laugh at me, Phil. <laughs> so, basically, what we have here from the story is what I think is, while not drawn well in this photo, a really, really cool idea of what it's supposed to look like to create time of silence, solitude, and stillness with God. Right? We've got all of the big We'll call them big happenings, right? These like big things, like they do all this stuff and then it's really, really sad. And then there's the coolest miracle ever. And then Jesus walks on water, which is the coolest thing ever, but they don't know it at the time because they're just confused, which I would be too, no judgment. And then in between all of these things, right? We see Jesus is like, okay, take a break, take a break. And when I read this, I was like, oh my gosh, it's true. If we all just find a way to take an hour alone with God, we can all be holy and we can all be great and we'll be wonderful. And that's what I want out of life. But then as I was reading the story a little bit more, God was like, I think you're missing something. And I was like, ding, 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 ding. And so I started thinking about the first time that I really tried to do the practice of stillness, silence, and solitude. Um, Like three years ago, I do Lent practices every year, which is just like 40 days before Easter, where you can choose to like do something that makes your relationship with God better, whether that's putting something into your life or taking it out. And I was like, I'm going to spend 30 minutes alone with God every day. And I'm just gonna sit there and talk to him and it's gonna be so good. So I did my first day 
And I felt like I was being tortured. It like hurt my body not to move. And I didn't know what to do. And finally I gave up. I was like, 30 minutes have got to be over. It had been five. It was five minutes. So then I was like, that's okay. We'll just, we'll try a new plan. We'll start at a minute and then we'll work up a minute every day and I'll get there. Okay, cool. So for the first four days, it was fine. But then I reached five minutes, which as we all know, is my cap. And I was done again. So then I started over. And if you think that this is going where I reach 30 minutes, I absolutely don't. This is not a happy story. So then I was like, we'll just raise it by a minute every three days, which again, got me to five minutes. And then I was once again, done. So then I was like, well, I just kept editing for 40 days, trying to make it through this practice that I was supposed to be doing every single day. And what I realized restudying this passage and thinking about this is that schedules are good, right? We all need schedules. Schedules can be super helpful. My boyfriend Ryan and I live 40 minutes away from each other. So if we want to make time together, it can kind of require some planning. My roommate Haley and I love to go to Costco, but also hate Costco because it's really intimidating and people drive crazy in the parking lot. So to get ourselves to actually go to Costco, we have to plan it, which is great. Planning can be helpful. Um, But I think that when we just make our relationship with God a plan and a schedule, it's not actually a relationship anymore, right? Because while Ryan and I plan time to see each other or talk to each other, That's not the only time that we see each other or talk to each other. That's not the fullness of our relationship. While Haley and I definitely make plans to go to Costco, we also see each other a lot of other times too, right? And so, because we live together. (laughs) But I think it's actually the perfect example, right? Because we live together, life is supposed to be with God, you know? So I'm going to keep coming back to the story of Haley. Sorry, Haley. But... So if we look back at this a little bit more realistically, right? Technically, this bump right here started way back here because so much happened before John the Baptist died. Go back, read Mark 1 through 6. There's so much. So really, this goes up here. And then Jesus is like, let's take a break. But if you notice in the story, they go on their boat to go to their alone place, and the people literally follow them. So they're off on the way to their alone time and it doesn't work out, which I'm sure none of us have ever tried to get alone time and had it not happen. It's completely unrelatable, especially for parents. Um, And then, so then they kind of get a break and then he does this really cool miracle. So we'll bring that one up a little higher because that's way cool. And then they do get a break. They all get a break. So we'll bring that back down. And then when this happens, this has to look like a wonky mountain because nobody understood it. So that's the right way for that to look. Um... (laughs) Now it's really a masterpiece. And so according to the story, when we think about the apostles, like the ultimate example of following Jesus, and even the pattern that Jesus himself follows, this is what the rhythm of their relationship with God looks like in this story. And if you continue throughout the Bible, if you were just to sit down and read the whole book of Mark, um, you would see that it, it doesn't like repeat You know, this isn't consistent. It just gets weirder and wonkier. And so we think that our relationship with God is supposed to look like this. That if we have a practice of stillness, silence, and solitude, that we better be getting up at 6 a.m. every morning with our coffee or taking an hour lunch break or staying up an hour late at night, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
But if we actually want to do this biblically, it doesn't quite look like that at all. Because in reality, right, relationships are messy. So if we're going to have a real relationship with God that isn't just built on a calendar, then it's going to look messy too. Think about any relationship in your life. And imagine if every part of that relationship needed to look pretty much the same and play out the same way every day. Maybe you have a roommate like me. Maybe you have a spouse. Maybe you have kids. Maybe you're really close with your family. Just pick one person and think, okay, so we would get up at the same time every day, and then we would eat this for breakfast, and then we would do this, and then we would blah, 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 blah. It doesn't sound as good as the classic Christian dream of talking to God one hour a day, does it? When we put it in that perspective, it's a little wonky. And so my encouragement to all of us, to myself, would be to remember that if your relationship with God is real, it's okay to have a wonky rhythm. If you need a schedule and schedules help you and that is what feels real to you, then that is awesome. But if you're like me and trying to have a schedule just makes God feel like a chore, then find a different way. Something that I've been doing that's been really helpful for me is I'm somebody who goes to my phone a lot, you know? Like every time anything happens, I have like five friends I text or call. Or if I'm really bored, I go like, you know, scroll the feed, see what's happening in everybody's life. And what I've been doing is when I catch myself, pick up my phone, I just put it down and I just go, okay, I'm gonna go ahead and use this time to instead of talking at people, just try to listen to what God has to say to me. And it has not been a consistent hour a day in a row with a cup of coffee with beautiful light streaming through the windows. A lot of the times it's been like in my hot car in a parking lot where I'm kind of hungry and don't know what I'm gonna do for the next few minutes. Um, but it feels more real and it's been a lot less torturous than trying to create the perfect environment. And what I want us to spend the rest of our time on is when we have these opportunities to spend time with God, why don't we take them? I have heard at least five amazing sermons on spending time in silence with God. I've had so many friends who have had like life-changing moments happen when they're alone with God. And every time I hear those, I want to have it, which is why I did that Lent practice. And without fail, two weeks later, I'm not doing it anymore. And so for the rest of our time today, let's just talk about why that is. I think that there are two main categories of reasons. I think that the first one is surface level issues. So things like my personality, which that's me, I say that, but there's gotta be other extroverts with ADHD out there. And my suggestion to us would be to go ahead and take these practices like two at a time and integrate them in. So for me, first I started trying to like be alone. So I would go on a run by myself. And then I started going on a run without music. So I was like, okay, solitude and silence. And then eventually I like was like, okay, can we spend half of our time that we would spend running instead sitting? Uh, it just, it had to be transitional for me. But it doesn't mean it couldn't happen. It just means that I needed time and space to get there, which maybe you do too. And that's okay. And then another surface level issue is our busyness, which I happen to know for a fact that every single person in this room is pretty busy. It's just how life works. 
And I always do that where I'm like, I don't have time to be with God today. I have to do this and I have to do that. And now my car windshield is broken. So I need to go fix that and blah, 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 blah. And I don't even have kids. So if you're a parent, I have a feeling this is probably really difficult. But then as I was thinking about it and I was like, what does it look like to schedule time for God? I was like, well, a lot of my schedule and a lot of my busyness actually revolves around relationships. It involves making time for the people who matter to me. I'm super busy, but if my friend calls me and is having a crisis, anything I had going on that day is out the window. I'm super busy, but I'm gonna go on a date with my boyfriend. I'm super busy, but of course I wanna like put away my homework to watch a fun movie with my roommate. Absolutely. And so I was like, well, if I have a real relationship with God, then why am I not treating him like the other relationships in my life? What would it look like to do that? What would it look like to take that time that I would schedule for a walk with a friend and instead spend some time hanging out with God? How can he be one of my top people in my life? And so if you are someone who is super busy, I would encourage you to think about what does it look like for you to treat your relationship with God as an actual relationship, which I think goes to our second category, right? Which is the deeper issues, the underlying issues that we don't really wanna talk about, about why we don't wanna hang out with God. And number one, we've already touched on, right? Which is jealousy of other people's rhythms. When we're jealous of people where it looks like their life with God is how perfect this picture would be if I could draw straight lines. And we feel like our life with God looks more like the blue lines that are intentionally not perfect. So I can feel good about those. So that's number one, right? We're not happy with our own relationship with God and we want someone else's. Obviously, then we don't wanna spend time with him. That sucks. And then reason number two, this one's a hard one, but it can be really scary to be alone with our thoughts. I don't know about you, but when I'm alone in silence, and one of the reasons I like noise is because I don't always like the things that come to my mind. They don't bring me joy. They don't make me happy. Um, And if that's you, and you really struggle with that, I go to therapy, I like therapy. Um, We here believe in therapy, consider that as an option. If it's not something that's that bad, but you just don't wanna do it, I don't know, maybe get a friend to talk to about it, get a mentor. Um, I always think that therapy is awesome, but it's just an option. And then the third reason is that really awful feeling of being alone. When we talk about, when I talk about, spending time in a relationship with God, it kind of sounds like we're gonna be hanging out with God and God is gonna be telling us these cool things and he's gonna be like, you need to do this and that needs to happen and blah, 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 and you're so awesome. But then we go to sit alone with God and sometimes he doesn't say a word. And so what does it mean to give up everything to follow God? For me, my life changed a whole lot when I became a Christian and not for the easier. And so if we have given up a lot, if we sacrifice a lot, if it takes a lot out of us to be Christian, even to take your Tuesday night to come be here with us, which thank you for doing that. Um, And then God has nothing to say to us. Where's the comfort? Where's the relationship there? And in line with being messy, I don't have an answer for all of these things, right? When Jesus is on the cross, we see him cry out, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
And Jesus may have gotten an answer, but we don't. And I think that that's okay. I think it's okay if our time alone with God isn't a messy rhythm and if it feels messy and if we don't get all the answers we want and we don't always hear from him. Because I think that God is bigger than any answer that I could offer you. And I think that's a cool thing about God, that he's bigger than any simple answer that you can get in a 20-ish minute sermon. And so my encouragement to you this week is to think about the reasons that you don't want to spend time with God, the real deep reasons, and what would it look like for you to take steps towards changing that, to talk to somebody, to meet with somebody, to schedule something, whatever it means to you. Dear God, thank you for today. Thank you for air conditioning. Thank you for each other. Uh, Thank you for art. And just please, as we go into this week, help us to find a way to grow closer to you, even if it's just one messy baby step. Amen.